This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title is The Second Coming, The Mighty Ones of Eternity, and our author is Rue Hupsel, who joins me from a country that I was not that familiar about, uh, familiar with in Suriname, in South Africa. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna have to, I'm, I'm gonna have to edit that one. Thank you, Rue. From Suriname in South America. Welcome, sir, to the program. Yeah, thank you. This uh, First of all, I, I'm, I, again, I will, for my listeners, uh, if you'll recap for me where your country is located, uh, just uh, for their interest and for their understanding. Yeah, it's on the north side of South America, and at the Atlantic Ocean, it's a very small country with a very small population, and we have uh, uh, something with Holland. Holland was our, uh, yeah, Suriname was the was a colony of Holland. Did they get independent in 1975? Interesting. Well, I, yeah, I, I everything is going fine in Suriname at this moment. Yeah. Well, that's good. I, I, at least at the moment, it's everything is is good. The weather's fine, and uh, we're able. Yeah, to... beautiful weather. <laughs> beautiful weather with rain and sunshine. Yeah. It sounds it sounds uh, fascinating. I I will put it on my list of uh, countries to investigate as a possible suspect on my bucket list. Uh, you wrote the book, The Second Coming, and then the subtitle, The Mighty Ones of Eternity. Um, the Second Coming sort of uh, connotes the idea of uh, the Christian heritage, and the, uh, the subtitle, The Mighty Ones of Eternity, may not. What is the background story of your title, and why did you write the book? Well, I was very fascinating since I was a boy, uh, 40 years old, about very old uh, old uh, behavior there in, uh, in the Far East, in uh, Mesopotamia. Uh, the people, uh, they call themselves the black herd people, but people around them called them the Sumerians. Hmm. And it was so fascinating for me to read everything about them, the clay tablets. And, and so I come to the idea to write something about the Sumerians. But when I write the story about the Sumerians, comes another story in my head, and that is now the title, The Second Coming. Ah, your book then is a fictional work based on your research and your interest in uh, other tales that you had heard. Yeah. Who is your main character in your book? That's a guy called uh, Dave. Dave. Dave and a shaman. And a shaman. They work together to do a lot of things to uh, solve problems that were very happy when these Akunakis come back to Earth. Now, your story, you, you mentioned that your story actually begins 30,000 years ago. Yeah, 30,000 years ago. And is it set in uh, present day, or is it still set in the past? Well, it starts in the past. And I wanted to bring to the attention of my readers the history of the Sumerians from a mist-distant past thousand of years ago. It became a fascinating story about the vision of the Sumerians on the origins of mankind 
which I drew from translations from ancient clay tablets. Because when you read the Bible, then you read a lot of uh, what happened a thousand years ago. But the the Jews take it over from the Babylonians, and the Babylonians take it over from the Sumerians. And how did you find the uh, the information that you've included in your book as a backstory or a backdrop to your to your tale? Yes. Uh, now I read a lot of uh, ancient clay tablets, not the ancient tablets as they are, but but translations of them. It was a very fascinating story. You must have had a lot of time to put the background story together. How did you construct your story? Did you sit down and have a an outline with the characters and character developments, or did you just begin and start to write from inspiration? I start from inspiration, and I have a lot of books about the Sumerians. I read a lot about them, and when you as a writer sit down and you write, there come the ideas in your head, and so you put it on you put it on paper. <laughs> yes. Is your book more in the line of a, an action, uh, of a, a fictional action thriller, or how would you describe it? Well, it's an action thriller with a history that, as you ask me, is true. It begins with the Sumerians. That's episode, episode one. And then we go to episode two. And the climax of this whole story find place in a very small city in America that is in in 2016. Ah, future tense. Future tense from now. Yeah. Who do you think is going to find your story or your approach to uh, being an author? Find that fascinating. Yeah, very fascinating for the listeners who, who like who like uh, thrillers, who like uh, science fiction stories. And I combined everything about the past to now, nowadays, and in the future, this, uh, in 2016, that small country, when the Anunnakis uh, come back to Earth, and they are very weak, and how they want to look what happened with the people they created here on Earth, just the human beings, as we know them now, you and I. As you were writing this and uh, began to develop the storyline, is there one or two scenes that really stand out the reader is going to be be just shocked, amazed, or inspired by? Yes, uh, the, the Anunnakis, they were from another planet. But the people in the past called, when they see them for the first time, they call them gods. Because ah. they come with a, a, a a very beautiful behavior to 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 develop but development people uh, to become uh, how do you say that uh, behavior than they are and so they come back after years thousands of years to earth to look what's happening with the people but they are very weak <laughs> and how do how do they get strong again well they have to go into people's soul I was afraid. I was afraid you're going to say that. That's what. <laughs> so that's the mystery. That's the part that we uh, we are discovering as you unveil your story. How do they get back to Earth? That's the other question. Do they come by maybe bus, train, spaceship? Well, in the very old stories of old people from the past, they talk a lot about a planet called Niburi, and that planet 
come closer to earth one day and they saw it uh, at daytime as a very small thing in the air and and at night as a big star mm-hmm. as a big star and the very close to earth and Niburi is a it's a planet and when you read stories about very old people uh, then you hear a lot about this planet Niburi and they 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 say it will come indeed they don't know when and where and how but it will come closer to the earth you've done some interesting uh, studies to discover or unveil this uh, mysterious past that other cultures have discussed as you completed this was there an underlying theme or was this just a good read for fun no 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 it is a a book, a part of that, of all the books I read. I read a lot of books in my lifetime, and I found this story so fascinating that it, it surprised me. <laughs> mm. And it is different from all other stories. But I will read something about it now. Sure. From the from the dark si- shadows, from the dark shadows of Neptune and Pluto, suddenly an unknown planet emerges, which after a cycle lasting thousands of years has returned to our solar system visible from Earth at night as a small star. With the arrival of Niburu, as the ancients in prehistoric times called her, brings a horror that will afflict the Earthlings as never before. Well, if that doesn't get your attention, nothing will, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah. Rue, could you please explain to our listeners in a couple of sentences why they should get engaged and purchase your book? This why they? Yes. Well, well, my book is so fascinating. I think it, they will read it in one night or two days because when you start, start reading you want to know how it ended. And the end of this story is very fascinating because you have to use your brain what's happening at the end. You have 175 pages. I'm I'm assuming that the, this path of being an author has uh, been enticing to you. Are you planning a sequel to this one? Uh, yeah. Rue, is it under authorship right now? Or how soon shall we look for it on the bookshelves? Well, I, I do my best. I, I start with another story about the same, uh, the same question, eh? and uh, I hope to end it uh, about a couple of months or so. And how long did it take you to complete the second coming, the mighty ones of eternity? Well, it takes uh, maybe a year or so, because I'm very critical. <laughs> <laughs> and you're enjoying the process. Yes, I enjoy the process. I enjoy the process when I'm writing a book. I enjoy myself. I enjoy the story. <laughs> but so, uh, 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 it's a lot of time when I say to myself, I'm satisfied about it. The the book, The Second Coming, were there uh, moments of uh, sheer pleasure that the reader will also uh, enjoy or embrace as they read it? Yeah, they will enjoy it very much because it's very fascinating and uh, there are a lot of uh, highlights in it 
who are so interesting. When I read it over and over, I, I was very surprised. I became that such a conclusion about that whole the whole story. Were there some challenges in getting your book to completion? Yeah, it was a very challenge for me to write such a story because it's a it's an, a story that I never read about it, and I read a lot of books, you know. Yeah. The story title again is The Second Coming, The Mighty Ones of Eternity. Our guest author has been Rue Hubsel. Thank you, sir, for joining me. Where can my listeners get copies of your book? Yeah, they can. Uh, it is uh, by Outer House. Outer House. They can order it at www.outerhouse.com. Very good. And I'm sure they can find it also on Amazon and on Barnes & Noble if they do a search under The Second Coming, The Mighty Ones of Eternity. They can find it and also order it from their local bookstore if they request it. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I live in Suriname, but I don't know where where in the bookstores in America. I don't know about it. I think that's true. They, but it's also an e-book. Yes, it should be an e-book downloadable. And there's also a hardback and a paperback version. Thank you for sharing the background story of uh, of your this your first novel and not your last. And uh, no, no, it's not my first book. It's not. I, I I wrote in the past uh, three other ones, and I won prizes with it in Holland. I see. Yeah. Are those novels also? Are those books also available in English? No, they are not in English and Dutch. They're in Dutch only. English. I hope in the future they will translate it in in English. Well, we'll just keep an eye out for anything that you produce or, or write, and they can do a search under your name, R-O-U-E, last name H-U-P-S-E-L. Rue, thank you for joining me today. Enjoyed the visit. Yeah, thank you very much. Yes, sir, and enjoy your time in Suriname, South America. Thank yes, you very much. Wonderful. For Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Four Seven Talisman, and our author is Marceline Miller, or M.R. Miller is her pen name, and I welcome her from the Denver, Colorado area. Welcome. Hey, hi, Jay. How are you doing? Good to visit with you. It's been a while, I guess, since you uh, published your first book. This is the second in a series, and this book is about a distant planet. Is it Pinerite? Is that the right way to describe or, or uh, uh, announce? Pronunciation is Pinerite. Pinerite. 
The distant planet Penrite was destroyed by an evil force that came from space. Surviving Penrite race traveled to Earth, seeking sanctuary and to make a final stand against the evil that seemed to be chasing them. They brought with them a prophecy of hope. From seven lands will come seven, strong, united without fear. After many years of darkness, they'll bring forth the light of freedom. And so sets the stage for Force 7 Talisman. Tell us why you became an author and decided to write this book. That story is fascinating by itself. Yeah, well, um, long time ago when I was when I decided to write the first one because this is the sequel. Um, I I had children. I have children. They were young. My oldest was nine years old. She she read Dune. I haven't even read Dune yet, but she was reading early. All my kids did, and uh, they they wanted to read the same books that I read, but because of adult content and um, language, I couldn't, you know, just say, yeah, here, read the Dragonlance novels. They're awesome. So I decided I would write a book that had all the adventure and, and, you know, fantasy and science fiction that we liked as a family without the adult content language. So that's why I decided to start writing the first book. And um, it took me a while. I got the first book done, and then they read it. They loved it, and my family encouraged me to finish the second one as well. This story that you have developed and the series, is your target audience basically young adults, or is it something that all ages will enjoy the read? Well, initially I just thought, you know, young adults, 10 and up, depending on reading level, uh, you know, how early they start reading. But um, as I was finishing the first book and I had adult um, friends as first readers and assistant editors to help me get the story down, um, they all loved it. They all wanted to read it, and they all wanted to read the second one. So adults seem to enjoy this book just as much as any youth would. If you're talking to a parent, how would you convince them that this book is suitable for their child to read? Well, like I said, it, it doesn't have any of the adult situations like you know sexual content, and it doesn't have any of the, the foul language that you will see in modern books these days. It just, it, it has the adventure that, because there's a, you know, the violence level is not too bad. It's not super graphic. Of course, there's a little bit of fighting and some people do die. But, um, and then the other thing that I really think, you know, parents should think about when they're letting their children read books is what kind of characters and relationships is the book got in it and what does it, you know, what kind of message does it possibly send to the kids. And I think that my seven, the seven heroes I have in this book, um, they're all different and they all have different personalities and, you know, different reasons for doing what they do, but they're they're good, moral people, and and even though they might fall and make mistakes, they keep going and they never give up. Share with our listeners the, uh, I guess, the name of a couple of your key characters in your book. Well, um, one of my favorites is a bad guy. Uh, his name is Dillian, and he's the quintessential bad guy. He's great, um, and I enjoy him because he's a bad guy, because when I was writing his character, I actually went through um, a phase in his story where he actually shows that he has a heart and that he, you know, that he's, you know, not all bad. But then again, I took that thing away from him that showed that made him an even better bad guy. So, but it was, that was kind of fun. But not everybody, bad and good isn't black and white. And my character's the good ones have some bad things. The bad ones have some good things. And I think that in my book, also, I have another character, a female. She she starts off as a bad guy. But um, 
and she's in charge of Versailles, which is a stronghold of the evil in France. But um, through some things that she does, she loses uh, favor with the ruling um, evil, and she changes at you know at the end of her storyline, she changes her behavior and she chooses revenge, which is not necessarily a good thing, but she also chooses love over being part of the evil that she had had sworn her allegiance to initially. As you began writing the book, how long did it take to set up the character lines and the storylines? Did you sit down with a, a, an outline, or did you just begin to write from inspiration? Well, it's kind of, I do a combination of both. I, I did start just writing from, you know, my head and just, you know, going with the story, and then I would stop, and I would say, okay, where do I want to go from here? But, and I and I get I would get ideas in my head, so I'd write it down and I'd create an outline, and then I start writing again. But for me, um, writing is a continually in motion process. So I will start writing following that outline, but as I do things, things pop into my head, and I go a different direction. And after a little while, I stop again and I say, okay, this is where I'm at now. So I need to revise revise my outline and um, and go a different direction. I actually had no idea how the story was going to end when I started it. That's, it. It was an evolving process through the whole writing. That's incredible. Uh, that's incredible information. I guess a lot of authors work from that perspective. How did you begin the uh, concept? Uh, not the concept, but where did you get the, the desire, the passion to become an author? Was it before your children started reading books that you felt maybe needed to be modified for their age level, or was it before that as a young adult? No, I never, um, until, I never had a uh, desire to be a writer. I, I've always been an avid reader. I love reading. I've been reading books uh, since I was a kid, and it's fiction reading that I really love. It's um, not, you know, I don't mind reading history books from school and, you know, tech and stuff, but I love fiction, and I like I call it brain candy. But I never had a desire to be an author. It was at that point where my kids became uh, readers and loved to read as well that I realized I wanted something for them to read that was better. Something and that that's was where the desire to become a writer came from. Mm. And then once I started writing, then it was like, oh, I wish I could do this for a living. <laughs> well, hopefully that day will come. I know at the moment you're not a full-time author, but that's something that no, could be on the horizon. but I am a full-time writer. I, I do, I, but I don't write fiction. I write training. So I am a writer professionally of a different kind, but fiction is my favorite thing to write. Would you describe this as a sheer entertainment read, or is it uh, also have an underlying message? Uh, well, I think that we, I wrote it as pure brain candy, just entertainment. You know, take a break from your life, go into another world. Because when I read, that's what I do. I, I, I put myself in the shoes of a, char- a favorite character, or I just, you know, imagine that I'm in that world, too. Um, but... Any book I read, because characters are always written from an author's understanding of life and an author's life experience. So any book you read, even though it was written just for fun and brain candy, you could actually pull something from it that may be a life lesson for you. Because, and especially with my book, my characters are very realistic. Um, A lot of the emotion and the choices and the situations uh, come from my personal life and experience and how I think things should be. 
So I think you can learn something. I don't think you have to, but you can if you want. Would you describe it as character-driven or action-fantasy-driven? Um, I think it's equal. I think my characters can drive the story just as much as the adventure and action. I did, I'm did. i one of those people when I read that I don't like a lot of what I call downtime, a lot, you know, where nothing's going on, I get bored. And I, you know, sometimes I've even skipped pages just to get back into the story again. <laughs> so uh, when I wrote this, I tried to be very descriptive of the setting and everything, but I tried to keep the action going. So every chapter, my chapters are not real long ones. And so if you're a bedtime reader like I am, you know, you can read a couple and end at a chapter and go to sleep. You don't have to, you know, struggle through the last few pages of a chapter because you're tired. Uh, and I keep the action going. So it, it's always, you want to read more. That's, I think, is good for us ADD readers. Yeah, describe, yeah, I, I know that's my type of read. Uh, describe for us your character. Okay, yeah, Moose is one of the favorites. I've um, For all the people that I've talked to that have read my book, they seem to kick Moose out as a favorite character. And I I subscribe to using first readers when I write, which um, I got from uh, reading Stephen King's book on writing. But a first reader is like, as I, as I wrote a chapter, I would give Joanna, who was my primary first reader for this novel, a chapter, and she would read it and tell me what was confusing or what didn't make sense or if I could uh, edit something here or fix something there. And when I asked her, when I got closer to the end of the book, and I asked her, I said, which character do you not want me to kill off? <laughs> and she said, Moose. <laughs> That's a nice uh, and everybody, um, he, they like him because he's he's a, good, he's a main good guy, and um, they all say that, you know, he's like the big brother, and... I thought that was really cool. I actually fashioned that character after my son. Um, so he knows when to lead, take advantage of the strengths of others. He sacrifices himself physically in several situations in the book, and he's like the 007 of the story. Fabulous. So, uh, so And he's, you know, um, one fun fact, and the reason he's fashioned after my son, um, in the first novel, when they give the first description of Moose, is when... Um, that his birth weight is 11 pounds, 3 ounces. That was my son's birth weight. So wow. that's, I took, so that's real. That, that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. All I right. did fashion characters after family members, and they all know who they are. Well, being on the receiving end would be okay. Being on the giving end of that particular incident, I think, would have been tough. Yes, I made it. I'm <laughs> tough. <laughs> uh, in a couple of sentences, maybe a couple of paragraphs, describe for my listeners the story uh, well, I think it's a very unique story. Uh, it has all the action and adventure, uh, human relationships, and again, like I said, for parents out there listening, no foul language or sexual content. It's, you know, your kids aren't going to get stuff you don't want them to from this book. And also, it's geographically, geographically accurate, um, using ancient myths, actual culture from each region to create the setting and drive the action. It's true, it's a good versus evil story, but it does, it does, evil doesn't always, or good doesn't always prevail, and evil's not always certain. Um, I think that the book keeps people guessing. It has surprises along the way, and like I said, you will sympathize with the bad guy at one point. But also, back to the geographical and cultural accuracy, I, I think something else that you can get from this book, and for parents listening, your children to get from this book is a desire to maybe research a region or some myths from that region to see if, you know, if that's real. For example, 
um, in New Guinea, there is actually still some tribes out there that practice cannibalism. And so I put that in my book because it's true. Um, there is actually an island in, um, in Victoria Lake for uh, a culture of albino people live there. And, and I put that in my book. So um, I tried to make, you know, since I did the story on Earth, I made it accurate. I didn't want children to read my book and think, you know, and get any misinformation. I'm also a social studies teacher in my past, so <laughs> well, I wanted it to be accurate. I'm grateful you've done that. Marceline, when does this story take place? Um, it's in the future. The um, So you have an alien race that comes to Earth, and then there's a period of time where Earth dissolves technologically and, you know, borders are closed and and civilization just sort of falls apart. Uh, and it happens, like, I have the date, like, 2054, and then a long period of time passes before the seven, the first of the seven, shows up, and you're jumped into the future, and we change the way the dates work. But it is um, it is a future Earth starting in about 2054. Were there challenges in completing your book? You said it took a I while. Think, yeah, it did. Uh, for me, it, I mean, my challenges were personal. Just, you know, life happens. So while I'm trying to write the book, you know, either I'm trying to hold down a full-time job or there's crises in the family and I can't, you know, I can't write. Or, I, you know, I just don't want to. There were times when I didn't, just didn't want to finish. And that's why I, in this book, you'll notice at the beginning I, said thank you to Joanna because it was she was the reason I picked up you know picked up the book again and finished it because she read the first one and she really wanted to have the end of the story and at that point I was only halfway through the first the second one and I, so I promised her I said if you'll be my first reader for the second one I promise I will finish it and I did and it was only because I promised because I don't break my promises oh, and that that pushed me to get it done that's a good quality. I love it. The title of the book is Force 7 Talisman. Our author, M.R. Miller. Marceline, where do we get copies of your book? You can find it on Amazon.com, and you can also, um, if you go to my website, Escape to Imagination, there's links um, there that will take you right to Amazon.com as well. And you can read, you can see pictures of um, some artwork that my daughter has done for the book, you can read some of my journey at writing. I've started to put information up there about my story and how I, you know, the tr the trials and things I went through to write it. And there's also little, um, little uh, sections of the book. You can read little teasers. Are there other novels in the series that will be coming shortly? Uh, this ends the story. I I hmm. did a two book. It's just a two book now. There could be lots of stories written from this kind of story that, you know, that happen maybe in between the beginning and end of this, but this is two books, and that's the end of the story. I'm actually starting another novel that's completely different. Look forward to talking to you about that when it's completed. This is a, so. a good book in a two-series that's suitable for all ages, 429 pages, titled 4-7 Talisman. Our author has been M.R. Miller. Marceline, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Jay. I really appreciate the opportunity. My you have pleasure. A wonderful weekend. My pleasure Bye. for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk.
We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Half questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. It's a book based on the notion that you can make your life better by taking risks, but risk means a loss of control, which in this case leads to heartache and to murder. That's just part of the story inside the pages of The Darkness Behind Me. Joining us now on the TogiNet Author House line to talk about his new book is the author T.J. Shannon. Mr. Shannon, thanks for being with us today. Uh, My pleasure. Happy to be here. Well, this is an interesting concept about taking risk, but for your particular character, at least the story in this book, it appears that taking risks uh, brings with it some pretty serious consequences. Well, I think in the case of this book, uh, it's pretty much been dedicated to my own personal situation when I was a young man. Uh, And uh, I got myself into a situation, as does my character, that uh, was really beyond his intended consequences. Uh, Made uh, some choices that perhaps uh, could have been better as a result of... uh, uh, the things that, that uh, I was confronted with. And uh, in the case of Jack Bishop, uh, he really doesn't have the ability to make commitments. Uh, his value system is flawed. He's young. Uh, he's been successful. Uh, successful really beyond maybe his uh, his dreams. And yet it's still not enough for him because he doesn't seem to have uh, the ability to look beyond the moment. And he makes decisions that eventually end him up in a lot of trouble because of his inability to see other consequences. Now, TJ, this particular book, your book, is set in the 1960s. Why did you pick that specific era? Why well, the, the, the 1960s were really a major, major uh place uh, that spawned in terms of time a lot of the issues that we have in today's uh, uh, today's world the 1960s saw the advent of things like uh, the pill uh, the decline of family values uh, there was a counter culture that uh, uh, began uh, in terms of um, uh, breakdown of the family. People lived in, a lot of young people decided to live in communes. Uh, there was uh, the initiation of drugs and drug use. 
uh, well beyond uh, that of, uh, of uh, <clears throat> the typical personal um, reasons for drug use. Uh, LSD was uh, pretty much a, a major player in terms of impact on people's behavior. Uh, people, there was a lot of social unrest. Uh, there was the issue of the Vietnam War uh, and uh, how unpopular it became uh, with the general public. Uh, concerns about civil disobedience in particular because of some of the uh, issues at home uh, with regard to the civil rights movement and so on. And I thought the 1960s really spawned a lot of the issues that uh, ended up uh, following us into the decades uh, that have come since, including uh, our, our current time. And uh, I think that the 1960s... Uh, uh, were a reflection, perhaps, of uh, a lack of detachment and, and lack of understanding uh, with respect to uh, the government and the social issues of that time. And I think uh, a lot of that extends into this personal uh, personal day. Uh, Boy, when you list it out like that, the 60s were, <laughs> were pretty packed with a lot of things that affect, like you said, affect our lives today almost. Yeah, I, I think uh, that the 1960s, for whatever reason, uh, you, were, you were sort of caught in between. You were coming off of uh, World War II and the, uh, the Korean conflict, and uh, in the 1950s, things seemed to be pretty pretty orderly, pretty organized. Uh, a young person you know, went to school, uh, you, you uh, graduated from school, you got married, uh, you got a job. And the world seemed to be working in some kind of an organized fashion. But as you worked through the 1960s, uh, that particular um, uh, genre or whatever uh, broke down. I mean, uh, people didn't behave the same way. Uh, for some reason or another, uh, there was this whole feeling about free love, free love, um, uh, breakdown of structure, and... Uh, People just didn't seem to do the things that they wanted to do, uh, irrespective of uh, what they had valued in the past. So does Jack Bishop kind of get in, is that kind of the backstory with him? Does he kind of, does this whole attitude? Well, yeah, I think Jack is kind of uh, um, detached from the whole process, but the book touches on these kinds of issues about the murder of the civil rights uh, um, civil rights uh, people in uh, the Mississippi uh, about the Vietnam War. Uh, his own brother becomes uh, casually of the Vietnam War. Um, he uh, he is locked, obviously, in an issue of corporate abuse of power, which leads to the mystery of the primary mystery in the book, which has to do with the murder of. Uh, one of his uh, co-workers, as well as the person that he works for. Uh, he's, he's really, even though he's not a, a part of, let's say, the civil rights dis- uh, uh, disturbances or civil disobedience, even though he relatively sits on top of all that and and goes through his, his own life in that period of time, he's touched by it periodically, the things that are going on. And they do eventually affect him, affect him, 
including, of course, the, the ultimate issue of his being involved in the riots in Detroit at a time when, when uh, he, he wasn't really paying enough attention not to become a victim. And you were actually there and, uh, and witnessed the riots yourself back in the yeah. 60s. Yeah, I mean, it was a time, obviously, of uh, much confusion, a lot of, well, I would say, obviously, a lot of emotion. I mean, people um, overreacted at the time uh, to what was going on, but there was a lot of uh, suppressed hostility, not just uh, in Detroit, but all across the country. And uh, had he been paying more attention, he would have realized that, uh, in places like Memphis, as well as Watson in California, and so on, uh, there there were a lot of concerns being expressed uh, by minorities, uh, and certainly by um, the blacks uh, about the way they were being treated and uh, uh, their lack of voice in uh, in outcomes and their inability to get the attention of anyone uh, who would uh, take uh, their their particular situation under their in, into their concern so I mean I, I think that the Jack was really in a, in a situation in which uh, he wasn't paying attention and he didn't pay much attention through most of his life uh, at, at that stage of his life anyway which was probably a period of about three or four years in which all of these changes were occurring now we talk about you're talking about a lot of personal things, civil rights movement, and some of these things that happened in the '60s. Doesn't corporate America play a pretty big role in your book? And was that a turbulent time for corporate America as well during during the '60s? Well, I, I think it was. Although the obvious part of uh, you know, in terms of what corporate America had to lend to that whole scene was the fact that uh, to the extent that they were involved in supporting. Uh, the war effort, uh, their 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 ability to act in a way that was ethical became a, a major concern, and I think that there were a lot of issues about the use of chemical weapons uh, in Vietnam, and uh, some of the impact that they had had on uh, not only the enemy but also our own our own uh, soldiers in Vietnam. Uh, the use of things like Agent Orange. Uh, and, and napalm and so on, I think was highly controversial at the time. And uh, it was one of those things that uh, there were a lot of lingering effects from people who had been a part of that theater who were exposed to it. So um, I, I think the question really became, uh, were we indiscriminately fighting a war uh, with very little concern or thought about uh, how how we as a as a corporate America fit into that war and what what real responsibility did we have for outcomes? Um, uh, in the book, of course, uh, corporate abuse is is uh, centered on three or four people who are in charge of a major corporation who are providing uh, support to the aeronautics industry and uh, to the Navy. In, in terms of uh, instrumentation for the uh, F-4 fighters that were used uh, on our carriers uh, in Vietnam. And uh, it really has to do with them um, selling uh, for-profit uh, secrets that uh, were 
eventually turned over to the Chinese and used against us in in Vietnam. Something you might even see in the headlines today, I think. Pretty much, yeah. It seems to me that, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that uh, there's probably uh, a great deal of, of um, water under that particular bridge. I think yeah. uh, from the standpoint of corporate America, uh, it has often been involved on both sides of wars that we fought in, and uh, I'm not sure how much the American public even knows or understands that. Yeah. Now, a couple of times in some of the material I've read about you in your book, uh, T.J., says the book attempts, of course the book being The Darkness Behind Me, attempts to demonstrate how irrelevant perhaps we've become without a sense of moral value. Even You even say the need for a commitment to moral values gives us a structure to provide some self, self-worth. So is that kind of the internal struggle that your character, uh, Jack Bishop, is going through this whole moral compass, which direction, what to steer his his ship by, so to speak? Well, yeah, I think, like a lot of young people, uh, you, you really don't have a very good sense of self sometimes at, at an early age. And uh, when yeah, you begin to make decisions for yourself, I mean, in Jack's case, uh, he's married, he has a couple of kids, He's been relatively successful. He's working for a major Midwest manufacturer who uh, has a big part in the war effort. Uh, yeah, he's successful. He has no reason, really, that, that any sensible person <laughs> with maybe a little bit of maturity would say to look around. But uh, he gets involved with somebody who he thinks somehow enhances his, uh, his, public, or his personal persona. Uh, in the in the form of of uh, Laura, who's his, who becomes his mistress, at least for a short period of time. But he doesn't look behind her own motivations and why she's doing what she's doing. And she turns out to be more sensible in the long run than he is, because her issue really is to help try to find out who has stolen the secrets and is passing this information along uh, to. Uh, a rival or a competitive uh, competitor, uh, which is going to end up in the hands of the enemy, and in the long run, she gives him up, you know, for her own family, which she probably should have in the first place. He was really only a distraction in the book, and then he continues to make decisions that you know align him uh, with people who really are basically uncommitted to anything, other than uh, having a, a a good time at that age. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, just getting by. I mean, they're not people committed to much of anything in terms of personal values or commitment. And in the long run, that ends up being his undoing because when he finally does run into somebody who he cares about, uh, that person really can't take him on because they feel like <laughs> he's not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to he's going to do something that will destroy them personally in their relationship and they don't want to suffer that kind of a consequence and so uh, so he can't he can't connect because of a compilation of, of bad decisions and things that have gone uh, before him and made him the person that he is we're about to run out of time here uh, TJ just kind of one question kind of a two-pronged question 
why did you decide to write this book and what are you hoping that people who pick it up and and read it and take a look at it will will get from get from the story of Jack Bishop and and all these things that he's going through well I decided to write the book because I a large part of the book is my own personal experience and I wanted to get that somehow <laughs> I guess everybody's got at least a book inside them you know <laughs> I felt like it was important to say a few things I started out trying to write something that was basically an iteration of my own experience and uh, essentially a lot of the book is and uh, I guess you know I, I hope that somebody looking at this a young person perhaps uh, who sees that uh, the kinds of things that this person went through and how a lot of things really uh, find their way to you and they're outside of your control and if if you don't really have a good sense of who you are or what you're trying to accomplish uh, you can hurt a lot of people not just yourself in terms of the decisions that you make and in the long run I mean if you don't have a value system you're bound to make decisions that uh, feel good at the time but not necessarily are good for you or anybody else around you, um, and I think that's kind of kind of really the essence of it. Again, the name of the book is "The Darkness Behind Me" by T.J. Shannon. T.J., tell us so, some of the places I'm going to guess the book's available: Amazon and some of the other online retailers. Yeah, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Uh, those would probably be the primary places. And this is your first first book. As we leave here, is this the end of Jack Bishop or? Oh, absolutely not. No, I've got Jack Bishop planned for probably at least three or four more books. Okay. All right. DJ Shannon, the author of The Darkness Behind Me, thanks for being with us today on our Author House Toginet Live. My pleasure. <laughs> 